Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah, he said, My arm is not too short to save, and my ear is not too dull to hear, but your sins have separated you from your God. And you see, that's our natural condition. We are separated from God. And the wonderful news is that all of that has been remedied through what Christ has done. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Colossians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, in a message titled, What God Has Done. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So we have been transferred out of that kingdom of darkness and that world where we were held in captivity and we were blinded to the reality of God. Again, just thinking back on my own experience, you know, back in those days, I just, I couldn't even fathom the, the idea of knowing God. I would hear people talk about how God spoke to them and how God was guiding their lives and things like that. And I, that was like a foreign language to me. It was like, what, is, what does that even mean? How could that even happen? You see, I was in bondage to sin and I was under the dominion of the enemy living in the kingdom of darkness. But then through that work of Christ and through me simply embracing what Jesus did, God took me. And he did the same for you and everyone else who's ever put their trust in Christ. He transferred us out of that kingdom of darkness and he placed us in the kingdom of the son of his love. You know, when Paul was sent to preach the gospel by Jesus, you remember the story how Paul was on his way actually to Damascus to apprehend Christian people there and to take them back to Jerusalem for trial that they would be imprisoned or executed. And as he was making his way to Damascus, you remember he saw a light that was brighter than the noonday sun and a voice began to speak to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. When Paul rehearses that story later on in his life to King Agrippa, he tells King Agrippa that something that Jesus said to him, it was very, very fascinating. Jesus said to Paul, he said, I am sending you to the Gentiles to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. That's what Paul's mission was. That's what the gospel does. It turns us from darkness to light. It transfers us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. Now, Here's an interesting reality that we need to be clear about. The kingdom of God is both already here and yet not fully here. So the kingdom of God is a present reality today. And for anyone that's put their faith in Christ, you have been transferred into God's kingdom out of that kingdom of darkness. But it's not here in its fullness. 
it will come one day in its fullness and, and the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's the promise. And Jesus Christ will rule and reign on the earth from Jerusalem, sitting on the throne of David, ruling over the house of Jacob forever. These are the promises. That's the, in the future, that will be fully realized. Today, that kingdom is among us. We who have put our faith in Christ, we are part of that kingdom, but we are really living in two kingdoms. We're living in the kingdoms of this world that are under the dominion of Satan, but we are also who have trusted Christ. We're we're now presently living in that kingdom of God, that kingdom of light and of life and of love. And what we need to do as God's people is we need to remember that we are no longer part of that kingdom of darkness, but now we, are, we have been transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love. And the kingdom has a, a whole different atmosphere. It has a whole different lifestyle. It has just a completely different way of thinking and doing and treating one another. And, you know, the church is, in one sense, it is the the visible presence of that kingdom in the world. And we talked about this a little bit last time when we were looking at Paul's prayer for the church. Remember, we were talking about how important it is for us to recognize today that we are the representatives of Christ on the earth. And when we use this picture that we're using right here, think of it as... There, there are these two kingdoms. And the vast majority of people are still there in the kingdom of darkness. But there's manifestations of the kingdom of Christ all over the world. Local church bodies. Christians gathered together. And what people ought to do, ought to be able to do, is to see the stark contrast between the two kingdoms when they come into our midst. When they you know, peek inside the room. When they, when they peer at us from across the way, they ought to be able to look and say, that is a whole different thing over there. And it should be so beautiful and so attractive that they want to be transferred out of the kingdom they're in into the kingdom of light and life and love. Now, when we say light, we're talking about the kingdom of light. We're talking about the kingdom of light in the sense of moral purity, spiritual purity. You know, light brings sight. It brings revelation. It brings understanding. It's a kingdom of light. It's a kingdom of life. It's a kingdom of vitality. It's a kingdom of energy. It's a kingdom of reproduction and, you know, all all of the positive things about life. This is the kingdom of Christ. It's a kingdom of life. It's not a dead kingdom. How many churches over the years have just modeled sort of a deadness, a dryness? I mean, how many times have people, and and still today, people sometimes think of a church and they, they just think, well, what does that have to do with anything? Why would I be interested in that? Because they're view, their perspective, what they've seen in regard to the church is just, well, that's just, you know, there's deadness there. Oh no, the kingdom of Christ is full of life. And when Christ is dwelling in us, then that life is going to be seen, but it's a kingdom of love. 
a kingdom of love. Boy, if there was, you know, if there's any place in the world where people ought to see the, the stark difference between the world and the church, it's in this whole realm of love. You know, it's interesting that many people who have been caught up in various you know, lifestyles, movements, and things, they, they get drawn in oftentimes because they say they feel accepted. They say they feel loved. You know, there are many, many people in the gay community who they cherish the community because it's a place where they felt love. They felt accepted. They felt cared for. And, you know, sadly, in many cases, those same people were at one time in churches and they didn't feel loved. And you don't make them feel loved by agreeing with their lifestyle or their desires, but they didn't sense that there was any real love or concern for them in their plight. They didn't feel like anyone was willing to listen and to be sympathetic and to try to give some help and so forth. And so they just decided, well, that, you know, that's not a place where I want to be. That's a place where I, I don't feel at all loved. I was talking to our uh, school staff earlier this week, and I was talking about the, the cultural transition that we've been going through here at our own church and how we have not at all changed our theological views or positions on anything. We're very theologically conservative church, but we have been going through a process of culturally changing, recognizing that the world around us is different and that we have to navigate things differently. And I was, I was talking about Pastor Chuck Smith and how you know many knew Pastor Chuck after the earliest days of what God did at Calvary Chapel. And many knew him when he was very much settled and established as a, a, you know, a long-term pastor and a voice in the community and the world. And you know, they, they knew him in a sense as a pillar of conservatism and all of those things. And I would say, you, know, you didn't know him when he was known as the rebel. You didn't know him when people, even in the Christian community, shunned him and criticized him and wouldn't allow him into certain spaces because of his position of opening the doors of his church to anyone that God would bring in. And, you know, we forget that sometimes. But you see, it's a kingdom of love. And so what people, regardless of where they're coming from, regardless of what their background is, people ought to be able to sense that even though there's not an agreement on things, but I, I don't know, I just, I still felt like I was loved. So anyway, as I was sharing this with the staff this past week, one of the ladies who's a teacher, she came to me, she said, thank you. She's, and she told me about her grandson. She said, you know, my grandson grew up here. He grew up at the school here and uh, he's been living a gay lifestyle and he just feels, you know, hated by the church and just feels like there's no way he could come back or be welcomed. And so she was just saying, thank you for, you know, the things you shared. They encouraged me today. And, but, but that's, the, that's the thing that we're talking about. We have been transferred in the, into the kingdom of light and life and love. And that's what people who are outside peering in, that's what they ought to sense. That's what they ought to see. Because that's what's happened to every one of us. Isn't it wonderful that God didn't say to any of us, well, 
you know, I love you, but you're going to have to really clean up your act before you can come around me. God didn't do that. No, he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He qualified us. We were all disqualified, but he qualified us. And he delivered us from those powers and he's translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. And then fourthly, he redeemed us. He redeemed us. And we read here, he redeemed us through his blood. We are redeemed through the blood of Christ. The word redemption, it means to, the idea is to pay a price for something. It is to buy something back. So God creates the world. He creates humanity. He creates mankind to live in a relationship with himself. But man betrays God and sides with the enemy and then actually comes under the the control of the enemy. And what God does through Christ is he buys us back out of that situation. Redeemed, the, the word redeemed in the biblical text, it's the word that was used in the purchase of a slave. And it was specifically referring to purchasing a slave in order to liberate them. And that's what God has done. He has redeemed us and he's done this through the blood of Christ. So the price that was paid to bring us back to himself was the precious blood of Christ. And Peter tells us that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain or empty manner of life, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. So the price for redemption, Jesus said it himself. He said, I am going to give my life as a payment for the life of this world. I give my flesh as a payment for the life of this world. And that's what he did. He shed his blood. God redeemed us through his blood. And then that resulted in the forgiveness of sins. God has forgiven our sins. God has made a way for sins to be forgiven. You know, sin is, sin and sins, the distinction is sin is a destructive principle that's at work in all of creation. It's at work in every single human being. And then sins are the, are the acts that proceed from the sin nature. But sin and sins are the root cause of all of the trouble and problems in the world today, yesterday, and tomorrow. All of the trouble is connected back to the issue of sin. And as a matter of fact, our problems are rooted in sin because sin is the thing that separates us from God. The Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah, he said, my arm is not too short to save and my ear is not too dull to hear, but your sins have separated you from your God. And you see, that is, again, that's our natural condition. We are separated from God. 
we are not in relationship with him. And the wonderful news is that all of that has been remedied through what Christ has done. And so those sins that separated us from God, those sins that kept us from hearing his voice, those sins that kept us from experiencing his love, those sins that kept us from knowing him and having that sense of his presence in our life and his hand of mercy over us and his guidance, you know, those things that prevented all of that, those have all been taken away. Our sins have been forgiven. What a, what a wonderful thing. You know, everybody sins. Some people's sins are blatant and obvious and notorious. For other people, their sins aren't so obvious. They're a little bit veiled. Uh, but, but the truth of the matter is everyone sins. And sin separates us from God, as I've already said. Sin ruins relationships between us as people. Sin destroys us in our souls and in our minds, causes us to think things and do things that are destructive and harmful. This is what sin is. And sins weigh us down. Sins burden us. Sins, because they are actual crimes against God, they place a burden of guilt upon each and every one of us. And that burden of guilt is real. We are guilty. But living under the burden of guilt is it's almost intolerable. Sometimes it is intolerable. But through Christ, God has forgiven our sins. Everything that we have ever done that's been wrong, everything that we've ever done that's been a violation of God's commands, everything that we've ever done to harm another person, whether we intended to or we didn't intend to, nevertheless, it was the case. All of that is forgiven. You know, sometimes we don't appreciate forgiveness so much because we don't realize how much we've been forgiven. Remember the story Jesus told about a, he went into this religious leader's house and while he was there, this woman came in and fell at his feet and she began to weep and she was very demonstrative. She was weeping, her tears were falling on the feet of Jesus and she was washing his feet with her hair and the man that invited Jesus to dinner. He was a religious leader. And he sat there and he thought, oh my goodness, if Jesus knew this woman, if he knew what kind of a woman she was, he couldn't possibly allow this. If he were really the Messiah, he would not let a woman like this touch him. So for this guy, he thought, hey, you know, I'm a pretty good person. This woman, she is wicked, evil, sinful. Jesus shouldn't be allowing this. And what he didn't know is that Jesus could read his mind. <laughs> All this was going on in his head. And Jesus turns to him and he says, you know, I came into your house and you didn't, you know, give me a real warm welcome. He said, you didn't give me a kiss. That was a customary thing. But this woman has not ceased kissing my feet. You gave me no water for my feet. You didn't wash my feet, but she's been washing my feet with her tears and with her hair. 
And then Jesus goes on and he says, and this woman's sins, which are many, are forgiven. And because she's been forgiven of much, she loves much. But the point was, you, the religious man, you don't think you're that big of a sinner. And that's obvious because you don't have the kind of love and devotion that you should have. And you see, that's a, that's a real problem. Sometimes we just, we don't think we're that sinful. And because we don't think we're that sinful, we don't appreciate the forgiveness like we should. And we don't show mercy and forgiveness and love and those things to other people when they sin because we don't realize how much we've been forgiven. You know, sometimes it's a good thing, even though it's a painful thing. Sometimes it's a good thing. If we're thinking sometimes about ourselves, say, yeah, I'm, I, I don't know, I'm really not that bad. Sometimes it's good to just say, Lord, would you just show me a little bit about what I'm really like? Not too much because that could be brutal. But, you know, it's, it's, it's important to have that perspective, the right perspective. Because, you see, as far as God is concerned, it's not merely the things that you do that are wrong. It's everything you think that's wrong. It's the things that you desire that are wrong. And again, in the days of Jesus, remember the religious leaders, they thought they were righteous and holy. They were so incensed at Jesus that he would insinuate that they were sinful because outwardly they hadn't done anything that they thought was all that bad. That's why Jesus said to him, look, let me tell you, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you might think that you're pure. You've never committed adultery. If you look at a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery. You might think that you're nice and forgiving and loving and you know, you'd never hurt anybody. You certainly would never murder anybody. But you know what? If you hate somebody in your heart, you have murdered them. So you see, when we start to understand how God sees sin, he sees that we are tainted from head to toe in sin. And then we realize he's forgiven us our sin. Oh my goodness, hallelujah. Lord, I just want to live in perpetual thanksgiving. And that's what Paul is doing here. He is thanking God. I give thanks to the Father who has qualified us and delivered us and redeemed us and transferred us and forgiven us. And so these are the things that God has done for us. And like I said in the beginning, our place is that of response. God is the initiator, we are the responder. So when we understand, when we get a grip on the things that God has done, what's our response to be? Our response is to be, man, Lord, how can I just love you more? How can I serve you more? How can I glorify and honor you more, Lord? How can I just be more fully given over to you? See, that's how the gospel works. The gospel works by overwhelming us with the goodness of God to the point that we say, how could I give him less than my entire life for all that he's done for me?
For the month of April, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves by Sam Albury. The culture is obsessed with the physical body, whether it's the sexualization of a particular body type, gender dysphoria, what we do with our own body, or even body art, such as tattoos or piercings, our culture links the body with identity, which is how exactly is our body related to our personal identity. When it comes to identity, some may discount the physical body altogether or place too much emphasis upon it. But the body is neither everything, nor is it nothing. The body is an important part of who we are, because we are more than just a soul. If you want to know more about the link between the body, personal identity, and what the Bible says, or if you know someone struggling with identity or body image, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves by Sam Albury. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Colossians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.